Hey, Sheila. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Good? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQ just drop shot? I could have been. I, I have plan. I like this All shit. It is Dance off, bro. It is your Me and destiny. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And this week, we're going to be delving back into the world of John Wick as we discuss Chapter 2. Uh, we're a little bit late on that compared to everyone else, but we don't give a shit. This is the way we roll. So before we get to the film, I want to know how my co-host Lee is doing. How are you doing, sir? I am exhausted. <laughs> yep, I hear you. I, I, I don't know, man. I have been terrible this week. I like... I. Every day I've gone into work and I've just had a fucking terrible time. And, like, to nobody's fault, just just me. I just just felt a total drain. <laughs> I, I, I haven't been able to, like, keep up all my work with regards to Big Picture Reviews and the podcast. I mean, like, I, I had seen John Wick two days ago. I seen it pretty late and I spent the last two days breaking my mind trying to talk about it or write something about it. Just to have something, like, I, I did a review and I still felt like I had got, hadn't got it out of my head or anything. And on top of that, I'm getting reviews in, uh, big picture reviews from, like, Darren and Lawrence, and I have to post them. I'm, and I feel all over the place. I have a schedule, and I feel all over the place. I, I, I don't know why, and I'm just tired, and I am so glad that I we get to do this episode. I'm a little... No ish on energy, but we're gonna do it. <laughs> we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna have a good time, and and uh, and then I'm just gonna just put it all down for a while and just chill the fuck out and go see some best picture nominees. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you, man. I'm kind of tired too. I don't know what the fuck happened this week. Even getting to the gym was a nightmare to me. I went this morning yeah. to work out, and the entire time my head was on repetition of be like, you know, you could just leave, right? You know, you just have to put the weights down. <laughs> Get off the bike. Go. This just go what, home. This is what happens to me every time I try to exercise. Know. You know you don't have to do this. <laughs> I, exactly. But I was having fun, man. I was going out. I was listening to, to podcasts. You know, I was able to catch up yeah. on a little bit of Incession, a little bit of, of a pop culture case study, a little bit of War Machine versus War Horse. You know, I was mm. listening to Rebel Forest Radio. Uh, you know, a bunch of things that I've, I've been meaning to get to, you know, and just listen to a couple of shows here and there because, uh, you know, I mean, school's kicked in. Uh, people have been handing in assignments now, so I'm getting buried in work. So, but this week, uh, for some fucking weird reason, I just drained, man. I was just walking yeah. around, looking around, going like, God damn, fuck everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't understand it. I mean, usually, like, this could happen to me if, like, I had a bad weekend, you know, something that was, like, exhausting. Like, a couple of weeks ago, I went to London on a Sunday and came back that same day and then had to go to work the next morning. So I was like, that's that tight moving on two planes. I was done for that week. Uh, and I, I spent the whole week trying to get that energy back. But this weekend, I, like, nothing happened. That was very relaxed. And, and that is obviously not good for me because I've now spent the whole week begrudging every single activity <laughs> huh. i had a, i was with my kids and i had a great time with them i mean we were, but i had no energy you know I, I was trying to make sure that they were okay i'll tell you i'll tell you one th stupid thing that i did this week my, my eldest daughter mia is a, she's a fantastic human being i love her so much and she <laughs> loves to cook 
Sounds like you're trying to convince us of something before you let her down. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I let myself down. I'm, I'm the idiot. My daughter loves to cook, and so she likes to watch a show called How to Cake It. I think it's this woman that's on YouTube, and she, she makes cakes and stuff like right, that. Cool. And she really, really likes this woman. And mm. so at school, they had this assignment where they had to break a, a Guinness World Record of some sort. And first of all, I have to talk to the teacher because that's a stupid idea. <laughs> I mean, they're called world records for a reason. I mean, they're borderline unbreakable. Yeah. But at the same... But maybe maybe, maybe it's a lesson in humility. <laughs> yeah, great. Ta- teach that to an 11-year-old. Know, know, know your place, child. <laughs> exactly. You're 11 years old. You're a failure. Your parents never wanted you. <laughs> so, my daughter had the brilliant idea of making a a 20-story cake. Because that's the, that's the world... record is 20 stories she says i'll do 21 and we're gonna take a picture of it and all that stuff but then her mother says to me hey uh we decided that we were gonna make the cake but now the kid's over at my place i'm like i'm not making a fucking cake you know she says no do you mind if i go pick her up and we'll make the cake and then you can kind of make the powerpoint presentation and stuff like that i was like oh sure no problem so i sent my daughter over to her mother so that she can make the cake and they did it they made a 20 story cake jesus but i mean it's not it wasn't the size of a house i mean it was, i know yeah i know i got it i mean like yeah <laughs> so anyway 20 tears exactly it was 20 <laughs> tears there you go was the wait wait so the record was this a 20 story cake or a 20 tier cake? 20 tier i Right. Not 20 story. Okay. Well, anyway. I mean, that could have been an awesome cake. Like, that seems like a world record would be a, a skyscraper cake. <laughs> uh, I'm mixing everyone up now. Anyway, long story short, she brought a piece home. And I'm not right. a cake fan unless I oh, get, no. unless I'm depressed. I don't like where this is going at all. <laughs> I do not eat cake. I only eat cake when I'm sad inside. And this week was one of those weeks. Sure. <laughs> I, I didn't understand what the fuck I was feeling. And so... Oh, with all my workouts and doing all my good time and all that stuff, I, th- I felt like, oh, cool. I'll have a piece of cake and I'll add ice cream to that and then I'll add shame. And so I had that cake, I think it was on Wednesday, and I've been recovering ever since. <laughs> what it's just a rock in my stomach, man. I, I feel parched. I went to the I went to the movies last night to watch John Wick chapter two and I didn't even buy popcorn. I was still full from the cake I had the day before. That is a that is a solid investment cake. This is <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, it's like the fucking lambus bread that the hobbits eat from Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> but at the same time I, I was I hated myself all day yesterday and this morning just hatred i was like fuck this fuck my life that's what you get for supporting your fucking daughters <laughs> anyway shame disappointment yeah so anyway that that's my 20 tier cakes story for this week all right so did you watch anything interesting this week we're gonna do this quickly because we're actually working on a on a different show we're not supposed to be talking about it right now but it doesn't matter i'll whisper it but you don't know what that show is yet nope not at all and so anyway, I, I did watch a couple of things this week. I, uh, I have actually managed to watch Manchester by the Sea, which I loved. You loved it. Great. I really loved it. I didn't it. hear anything about it after you've seen it. Oh, no. <laughs> I really, really, really loved it. I thought that um, 
Casey Affleck was being Casey Affleck. I feel like the part was written yeah. exactly as I, as I kind of warned you. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, whatever, you know, Michelle Williams, eh, she's getting a little attention. You know, she's good in the scene that she's in. But other than that, she's not there. But um, I think that Lonergan's direction, I think Lonergan's script. Wow. What the fuck, man? That was such a beautiful I know, right? film. I, I It was heart wrenching. It was honest. I thought it was honest. I love the cinematography. I thought that it was mm-hmm. it was really well done masterful Very shot. clever for the little it had i yeah. mean definitely yeah definitely i love that i rewatched the imitation game because i was on david's podcast the other day so check that out That's film right. faculty and pop culture case study talking about the imitation game i had fun watching that um there's another film oh i'm gearing up to also watch moonlight for the first time and i'm looking forward Great. to that yes because i really want to see it uh, i just played it a couple of minutes like fast forwarding through uh the the file that i have um uh and so far, the cinematography looks fantastic. So I'm already in. Yeah, it just came out here this week. Um, so in, I'm in actually, I'm, I'm hoping to. Yeah, I'm okay. So, yeah, I'm hoping to see it as well as Hidden Vigors. I think comes out this week as oh, well. I have to check that out too. And yeah. I think that's. Oh, and maybe Fences. Oh, maybe that's the remaining three best pictures all come out this week. So I, that I haven't seen. So I think that's my weekend sort of. I have to do that. Right. Uh, as far as films that I've seen this way, the only one other than John Wick that I can think of is uh, Lego Batman, uh, is what I've seen. Yeah, I've, I've been hearing great things. It's good. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to oversell it. Uh, I did have problems with it, but, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's, a, it's, it's the Lego movie style applied to Batman. Does it justify itself? But it is funny okay, cool. and entertaining and kids will enjoy it and Batman fans will likely get a lot out of it. And I seem to be somewhat in the minority by being a little more, you know, indecisive about whether it was worth the effort. Oh, but, a little cold about it, all right. Uh, but Lawrence and Darren both reviewed the film for Big Picture Reviews and both gave A's where I gave a B. So I, I'm definitely in the minority in, our, in my own sight and I, I certainly probably am regarding whatever the general opinion is. But yeah, whatever. So it's, it's good. Cool. <laughs> all right, so I don't know. I, I, I want to get into John Wick. I think that's enough now. Uh, I think it's enough filler for whatever, you know, people are like, oh, we love their voices. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> they were like, what the fuck did you guys think of John Wick? So we're going to tell you guys right after this short break. Stay tuned. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InsessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. Welcome to Rome. Is this a formal event or a social affair? Social. How many buttons? Two. And what style? Typical. Mr. Wick, do enjoy your party. 
How good to see you again so soon. You have no idea what's coming. You want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? Whoever comes, I'll kill them all. The man, the myth, the legend. John Wick. You're not very good at retiring. I'm working on it. All right, welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed the trailer for John Wick Chapter 2. John Wick Chapter 2 stars Keanu Reeves, uh, Ruby mm. Rose, Common, Ian McShane. Oh, Lawrence Fishburne is actually the oh, Lawrence oh, Fishburne. Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, and, and a very forgettable part. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler warning. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that's we'll, we'll say yeah, that. Spoilers. Um, spoilers on this, obviously. It's a brand new film, and we, as we always do, delve into a lot of the scenes to talk about specifics about the film and that's not going to be any different no, this time that's so a, if you haven't seen the film thing. that's what we do yeah if you feel that we are, are are going to be ruining some scenes for you see it first come back listen to what we thought of it if you don't really think you'll care stick around we'll listen to us talk yeah, about so it so fair enough spoiler warning uh we, we want to make sure that you guys don't like write us a message i mean it's not quite split <laughs> <laughs> oh dear God, no! Uh, there's, 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 you know, there's no twist ending to to, to John Wick Chapter yeah. Two. However, I mean, we're going to be looking at specific scenes, trying to take them apart, put it back together. We're going to mm-hmm. be revealing specific things that happened to Wick, whether or not we agree with them, and that's it. You know, so I mean, if you guys have tuned in before, this you guys know that well, this is what we do. So. Uh, eventually, yeah, exactly. I'll probably just put a spoiler fucking warning on 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 the the SoundCloud image or the iTunes image or now Stitcher. Actually, we're there too, so you guys can check us out there. And Overcast, if uh, if you uh, if that's what you're inclined to going to get, we're on Overcast as well. So so before we get into John Wick Chapter Two, Lee, I want to know: Were you heading into this second film uh, on a high from the first one? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean. I absolutely love the the first John Wick. I think it's it's easily one of the most memorable action films I've seen in a long time. And uh, honestly, I was looking forward to. I don't uh, I don't try. I try to have a blank slate going into any film. But there's something about sequels you have to sort of meet yourself halfway with expectation because you know a sequel's going to play off what it has set up. Essentially, I knew that I had to have some expectation, and so I let that be. Yeah, I like the first one. I hope it's like the first one. And yeah, so I, I went into this positively. Uh, how about you? Well, I, I have to kind of admit that I'm kind of, I'm like you. I didn't get a chance to see John Wick in the cinemas because when I saw Keanu Reeves on the poster, I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> although I, I although I do like Reeves. I mean, I'm not I'm not a I'm not yeah, a hardcore Reeves fan, but I I'd, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to say like, oh, he doesn't have an enviable career. He's got a great yeah, career. Absolutely. You know, I even liked the documentary he made called Side by Side. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. And to see him in an right. action part again was actually quite a fun thing. But I had no idea that that's what John Wick was. He looks like a fucking pallbearer 
So I was like, oh, it's going to be some weird movie about whatever. <laughs> but then when I saw the reviews coming in, I was like, oh, okay, it's an action film. I had no idea. So sure. one night I I basically, uh, I don't know who the fuck I was talking to, but the person says, have you, oh, it's my friend Guillaume. My friend Guillaume uh, who lives in Montreal told me, have you seen John Wick yet? And I said, no, is it worth it? And he says, man, you're going to love it. But coming from him and his debatable taste in film, I figured. As we explored last week. <laughs> I was like, it's a little iffy. And he says, trust me, Jason, I know, I know what you like. And this is probably right up your alley in terms of action films. And I was like, all right, cool. So I got myself a copy and Leslie was with me as well. And we sat down and we watched John Wick and we were like, holy fuck, was that ever fun? It was a fun yeah. action film and so that's it when the film was over i was just genuinely surprised at what i had watched i was so happy mm. uh, and reeves was was stellar in the performance they gave him a lot to do physically and not so much to do in terms of acting but at the same time there are specific scenes in the first john wick that i was like jesus christ Keanu reeves has actually improved as an actor and so sure. um yeah so i wasn't walking into john wick chapter two with expectations that's the fun part is that i mm. figured john wick to be just separate and i was like okay i'm eager to see where this character can go and so i walked into the new film with just that in mind so your impression then of chapter two um okay my initial feeling is that i didn't particularly like chapter two sure i feel like they dead man chested themselves mm. or matrix reloaded themselves and i feel right. like the first john wick was subtle and it's world building but chapter two feels like there's just too much exposition and too much exploration in the assassin world. And it becomes a really tedious experience to watch. To me, it was the Matrix all over again. In that the assassins are agents. You know, they're activated by cell phones. You know, Manchurian yeah, candidate style. They actually are, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what the... F why is everyone an assassin all of a sudden? I, I couldn't believe... I mean, it was just too much, okay? And this is initial reactions, okay? We'll get into the positive stuff after. But I'm telling you right like off the bat how I felt was, what the fuck is going on? Why are they doing this? I thought that the action was good, but I feel like some of it was better in the first one. They, tr they didn't try to outdo themselves, which I applaud them for. It felt choreographed as opposed to the first film. You know, and even like right. to me specifically, I'm talking about the gunfight brawl in the ruins beneath Rome. You know, it felt yeah. like a video game at one point and I, I couldn't believe it. It was <laughs> weird because the henchmen are supposed to be following Wick and we see them enter with Ruby Rose's character, Ares, but all of a sudden some are in front of him. I mean, like, they just keep popping yeah. out of places where you're like, they're just like well, agents. I, mean, like that, I get that. I mean, I mean, that was kind of like a pincer attack. I assumed, you know, they, they knew it was going to take more than running at him from one angle to get him. Yeah. But I get what you mean. I but, get what you mean. It did. It, I, I, I agree. Not only did it have a video gamey feel, but uh, at, at points, to be fair. Yes. Not no, like, no. Sometimes it was great. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? But it went on for so long. Repetition was really a problem in this. Uh, I, 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 there's only so many many ways you could shoot a guy in the face that way <laughs> <laughs> and i think uh, exactly. one of the things that i really took away from uh uh mike from war machine versus war horse he was comparing it to he says that john wick is playing laser tag at one point there's always something for him to duck behind and then there's a light you know and then you don't see the guy die you just see the light fall over and that was a great way of seeing that action yeah. sequence so I think that in terms of like the, 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 like, like I said, it, Dead Man chested himself. They tried to do too much with that world. 
I also feel sure. like the the screenwriter twisted the original premise, but still focused on the entitlement theme. But this time right. in the original, if you look at it in the original, Yosef, he's the entitled brat, right? Mm. And then you have Santino D'Antonio. And I don't know if Santino, he's using a reference to Sonny Corleone in The Godfather, where Santino feels entitled to take over. And then he's going to go on a rampage as well, because he feels like he's yeah. owed some power. But I feel like John Wick in this case... It's like the roles have been slightly reversed. He feels entitled as well. He becomes sort of yeah. like the Yosef character and the Santino character, all embodied, like embroiled in, into one John Wick going, well, I'm John Wick, so I get to do whatever the fuck I want. The rules don't apply to me. And I felt that that was a little yeah. bit out of character mm-hmm. for me. So sure. I don't know. I like it when films are narratively economical. I feel like the first John Wick was exactly that. And it proved to be a really fascinating experience to me. Mm-hmm. So when I said... Like when I was excited to see the second one and I said, I want to see more John Wick. I want to see more of the Continental. I want to see more of that world. But I don't necessarily mean that I want to see more backstory. I want to spend a little bit more time there. But that time is that extra 30 minutes in the film where Mm -hmm. I feel like those exposition scenes, that, that world building just went a tad too far. Especially in the Lawrence Fishburne character where he's now the Lord of Garbage World. Yeah. Where I was like, okay, he's part of like, <laughs> all these guys are, what are they doing? They're like ears and eyes on the streets and they're part of the Assassin's Club and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's it's the King of Rats character. Yeah. You know, the archetype. But at the same time, oh, what a grind to a halt that entire section is in the yeah. film. Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't particularly like that. I also felt that there were things that are ripped out directly from Kingsman. That's the Secret Service. Where John Wick goes to get all of his armament and things like that, the suits and all. I, I felt that I was like, oh, this is a very comic booky thing to do. Let's try to do that, you know? And I get that. I was a little <laughs> bit like, dudes, we've seen it before. I think that the, like, even my girlfriend could point out the Tarantino esque moments in the film where, you know, it felt funny, but it felt forced a little bit. Although I did appreciate, like, the, the, the fighting with uh, between John Wick and Cassie and on the roof and then they crash through the window and then you'll have Franco Nero's character that is going to show up, you know, which is a fun reference to Django Unchained, but also the Django movies from the 70s. And he said, dudes, you're in the Continental. You're not supposed to be fighting. Go have a drink, you know, and you're like, okay, that that's a very Tarantino moment. But at the same time, it was called for, I think, for that that little breather. So anyway, those are my gripes with the film. Uh, I think that if I look at, you know, Santino himself, the the, the, just the entitled brat in this film, um, I feel that just the fact that his sister got promoted and then he didn't, that whole entitlement thing was kind of like, Ugh, we've seen it, please move on. Mm. He's just a whiny prick, you know, and, and I, I think that it worked better in the first film because, you know, Yosef literally took something that belonged to John and also yeah. killed the remaining part of his wife. The last little thing I'm going to say is just that I, I was led to believe that Wick understood the rules. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that in that case... If John Wick understands the rules, Santino and calling him in for his blood oath isn't wrong. I mean, John Wick literally no. says in the first film that he's back. So the whole Godfather, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. 
to me doesn't work and that it just turns John into a prick an entitled prick the same way he, he was fighting against two entitled pricks in the two films yeah. that he's had right now that being said that's all I'm going to say about the negative points for me the rest from here on out is going to be positive I understand that these are big gripes but my initial my initial reaction my initial feeling as I stepped out of the film with my girlfriend was like why did they do this this way you know I mean I yeah. understand the world building I understand that the Stileski the director and even the screenwriter, which I forget his name, were inspired by Greek myth and legends, you know, and even like Lawrence Fishburne mm-hmm. character says it, you know, the man, the myth, the legend. And you're like, we understand that you're trying to build this word, world according to myth and that Wick comes with legendary status, that he's a myth, you know, that comes with it. That could be something interesting. And I'll get a little bit more into that later. But I feel like. They tried to shovel way too much into this one yeah. so that by the time we get to the third film, we don't have to deal with any of that. I get that. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. I, and I I don't agree it's okay. for a lot of points, but I do I do understand. I, I think you're perfectly correct to have these gripes. I, I mean, not even just on an initial basis, this, this film does have its problems. And especially when you connect it to the previous film, which the film forces you to do, it literally opens with the ending of the first yeah, film, the essentially. So, I mean, yeah, so that's inescapable. It asks you to remember, hey, John Wick won. You know, that story's still relevant. This is the next part of it. I don't, yeah, I don't think you're wrong, uh, but I do contest. You've brought up a couple of negatives, and I feel like I hope to sort of check off what I think the film was going for and what I got from them and sort of compare those just as an alternate take. I'm not trying to convince you. I just think these, this is how I saw it. I'm, I'm, this is how other people I just want to say it. that I'm coming around to it. You know, the thing is, is that when, yeah. when, when you, I, I like it when rules are clear. You understand? We didn't yeah, get many absolutely. rules in the first film. We got the rules that, that uh, you're not supposed to kill in the Continental's ground. That was the rule we got. Right now, they invented yeah. a new rule for this film, which is you're supposed to mm. a blood oath this can't be broken. Now, I feel like I'm going to take an argument that you had, and then I'll let you speak. The argument that you had when we were talking about Rogue One, uh, we were talking about Star Wars actually when we were talking about Rogue One, and you said that Star Wars works as a standalone because it 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 it, it abides by its own rules. There were no rules mm-hmm. when that was created, right? And then right, after. Yeah every subsequent film has to be according to the rules that the first one established, right? Yeah, Now, right. And I feel like Star Wars respected that to a certain extent, all right? We're bending mm-hmm. rules. There's going to be new things coming out. With John Wick, I feel like the world was open to them after the first film, but now they've established a series of rules that is mm. that is so constrained that how do they wiggle themselves out of the tight spot they put themselves in. I would have rather it been a little bit more open as a film as opposed to this very closed, very rule-ridden yeah. world that we've been set up with. Like, the guy the guy with the pigeons now, he's got his own set of rules that that governs the garbage people. And then we'll have the, the Winston, you know, that's governing the Continental. Well, he's explaining another rule. And then you'll have Franco Nero's character that's going to be explaining another rule. I feel mm-hmm. like it, like in the Matrix Reloaded, you're like, oh, we're going to go visit the Merovingian, and now we're going to see the Keymaker, and now we're going to go yeah, see yeah. the Architect. And we're gonna, I feel like we've seen these characters before, and these are the rules that they're giving 
to us. And I'm like, dude, you could have so not established all these rules. So anyway, I want you, I want you to not convince me, but I mean, please go into what you have to say because I, like I said, this is the only gripes that I have with it and I'll move yeah, into yeah. positives now. What I, I, what I intend to do anyway with regards to this, I'll, I'll give a, a, my, my actual opinion that I, I came away from the film with. Cool. Yeah. And then I want to, I use this opportunity with John Wick to talk about the, the three act structure a little. Because I've got, I know it's basic filmmaking, and that most people that probably listen to the show understand that to a decent extent. But I feel that John Wick Chapter Two does, uh, you know, makes a lot of mistakes that a lot of sequels do make or can't avoid making. But I think it does a lot of things right. Uh, and I also want to explore where people will feel ultimately disappointed, even still, just for where this film goes. But, and how it handles what it does. But I, yeah, other than that, I, I get what you're saying about rules. Um, I feel that what they're trying to do is they are trying to expand the world, but at the same time, they don't want it to be so open they can't tell a story. I feel that, yes, this exposition that they're injecting into the, into, on top of the original John Wick does at times feel forced. I can totally agree with that. But at the same time, I don't feel they introduced so many rules that were, re- were introduced subsections of the world, but we're not, you know, I mean, there's not much governing uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, you know, or, or, or the other assassins other than they're waiting by their phone for a contract. And we pretty much saw that in the, in the first film too. So I don't feel like we're limiting ourselves too much. It's just how most people that we've seen so far seem to be abiding by a set number of examples. And that allows us to keep that sort of wonder about the world while also telling a story within it. I, I feel that we've we're we're still setting groundwork here for more, but I also feel like John Wick is going to end, and there's not going to be more, or at least I I think with the current intentions, they're only going to go another film, and they're going to stop, and then of course. Hollywood being Hollywood won't let that happen, but uh, we'll get there when we get there and we can write off those films when we want to, you know, Jason Bourne style, but, uh... Have Keanu Reeves come back when he's 75. Uh, <laughs> get off my lawn! <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, I'll go with, uh, my general impression, I really enjoyed this film. I really, I really did. I, I, but I, ultimately I left the, the screening really buzzed from the film, you know? I, I, what I love and what I was, very happy to see was how creative they got with the action they were trying to portray. And that, to me, was kind of closer to what I really enjoyed about the first John Wick. That it, What to me was the most important thing about John Wick. It wasn't so much the narrative. The narrative is very bare bones and basic with a little fan- mild fantasy in the background to keep everything interesting enough to differentiate between your Mission Impossibles and your born identities, you know. But for me, it uh, it was more about the fact that we were exploring stunt-driven action with a with a, a a new renewed focus on gunplay in the martial arts take that we were doing, and we were taking it places that we could recognize. We were more than just miscellaneous shoot uh, shootout in the middle of a car park. We were in a nightclub and we were in a warehouse uh, that was owned by the mafia, you know, or the, like a Russian mafia. We were places and we spent time building it up. So it was an approach to filmmaking that was both very considerate to what we require from most films. And it was pretty inventive or at least reinventive when it came to portraying the action it was trying to. I fought John Wick chapter two did the logical and and best thing it could have done 
on that regard. While it does introduce more world building and rules, each one sets up a very fun, interesting, creative action scene that we can wholly differentiate from any scene that we've seen, not only in John Wick, but in almost all other action films. Uh, or at least we get the references are if there are references, you know. But we start off pretty simple, almost like thematically, where, uh, where we're tied with the first one. We're in like a warehouse and a city. These are like the, the callbacks to the original film. We move away from that film within the first 15 minutes. And then we're in a like a, an outdoor festival for the rich. Uh, in like a like a ruin, you know, in, in Italy that that seems to be pushing the the continental feel, the, the upper class feel that was sort of present in the first one to its natural sort of extension. And then we're in the subway and we're fighting people. And then we're in the in a, in a museum, you know, an art exhibition. And and then we're back out in the streets with a fountain and and all these like underground trains and stuff. And I, I think that's great. I, I thought that. There were so many clear ways, and each one has its own little gimmicks about it that kept the action varied and interesting. You know, they can't shoot through a fountain. The fountain goes up, bam, 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 no guns go through. And uh, and trying to get around it, they're trying to chase each other down until it falls, and then they've got a clear look at each other. Uh, or, you know, the, the, the Hall of Mirrors thing, you know. There are sliding doors that people are disappearing behind. There are reflections. There's a brilliant piece of comedy in that where a guy shoots at the reflection of John Wick and it cracks the mirror and that alerts John to where he is and he takes him down in one. And that's that's creative and fun. And I love seeing little bits and pieces like that. But I I felt like there was an example in each place that I thought, I'm so glad we got here. And I'm so glad the story decided to expand this direction so that we could find ourselves. I mean, even although I do think that the the film grounded to a halt with the Lawrence Fishburne segment, the idea that you're running through the subway and then you hide away under the coats, under like a bag, you know, to get away from your assailants, that's hilarious. I thought they're like, yeah, you know, that seems logical to me. I think that nobody's going to check that. And then even when they walk over, they get taken out anyway. It kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, whatever. But even still, it was a good hiding spot. It was pretty inventive. They do they do a lot with what they set up. That does create some jarring problems with narrative and pacing. And those are definitely problems. But as far as exploring what I wanted to see from this, which was fun cinematic ways to, to explore action uh, with just the lightest tail ends of characterization... I got what I wanted. I, <laughs> I was very happy. <laughs> but I, I agree with that. Yeah. You know, those were the sequences. The action sequences were the things that I enjoyed the most. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right? Some of them went on a little bit too long, in my opinion. But at the same time, I feel like um, I feel like I got a lot out of them. I, I really, like you said, they were inventive. I thought it was fun because most of the time, there's going to be so many cuts. There's going to be shaky cam. Like, people think that that's how you film accident sequences now. Mm-hmm. But I mean... Stileski, the director, used to be a stuntman. He probably still is. I don't want to assume that he's not doing it anymore. Yeah. But he understands that this is the work that he was in before. And, I mean, it must be a huge payoff to work with a guy like that who understands the true craft that goes into making an action stunt sequence Mm -hmm. and not having to blur the line between who the real actor is and who the stuntman is. Where you're actually seeing people perform the stunts flat out with the camera that is in a wide shot. Yeah, you know, absolutely. There's no cuts. 
Oh, and yeah. I think that's brilliant. I'm not taking that away from him at all. To me, like I said, to me, the story was the problem. The rest around it, I loved. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Definitely. I so. mean, like, I had, there was this small moment of giddy joy, and it's definitely a film thing. So it's not something that the average viewer is going to go, wow, I appreciate that. But when he's in the ruins, he he's kind of, he run as he's running away from Ruby Rose, who's just shown up, and we're seeing the lights in the distance. We see him run sort of towards the camera down this sort of open hallway, and it, it holds on him so long, it actually pans to follow him to the other side of that hallway. And then we start seeing these new assailants coming in from the other direction. And that's such, like, a Western move. Yeah. And... I, I just, there was this little squee of joy in my heart. I was going, oh my god, they, like, that was excellent. I haven't seen, like, a, 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 a long hold on a character running down a hallway and establishing, the, like, the scale of the place and the, and the direction he's going and, and the threat, like, his options in that area. There's so much to take from just that small moment. And I was going, yeah, how is he going to get out of this? And the film was letting me imagine it, but also telling me what weren't options at the same time. And, and, right. and answering my questions as it, as it went along without saying a word. Ah, the cinematography, incredible. And I'm not debating that. No, at all. I, 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 think I don't think you are. Right. But that's that's sort of what worked about John Wick as far as an action film is still good here. The other side of the debate is: is it good as a narrative? You know, does it do anything interesting as a sequel? And I I enjoyed it enough to say I cared more about what was happening than in the first John Wick. I don't think it's better. I think that there's something to be said about, you know, a succinct story that just does its job and leaves the, the book open ready for the next chapter that you fill in yourself. But at the same time, I do like I like seeing what people come up with uh, and, and where this world was going to go. And I think that a lot of the choices they made, sure, it affected the pacing a little, but I was happy to see it. I was happy to see rules broken. I was happy to see the open contract. I was happy to see excommunicado. I was happy to see, you know, I was happy to hear about this high table, you know, this lingering idea. Because then I started thinking, what if John Wick ascends the table? I thought that was where the story was going to go, and it didn't go that way at all. Uh, you know, I thought he was just going to accept he's back in the game, and that was going to be his arc. And that's not that's not where we end up, and it might not be where we're ever going to go. It could be, but that was that was in my mind the whole time, and I started having questions about what this character wanted. You know, did he really want to retire? Did did he? He seems to be pretty good at this. Is it just, like, is he really half on at the moment, you know? Is he really fighting for just settling down with himself? I, it's hard to, it was hard to reconcile that. And it's like, is this him grieving? Is that the, is that the metaphor we're doing here? You know, is this, is this all just one way of challenging, you know, the, the ins and outs of what happens when you lose a loved one? You know, I, there were so many fun questions and I felt that this story, it aided that perception of this character and it didn't it wasn't always flattering but it certainly it kept it kept me guessing enough that I wanted to find out and I want I felt a part of somebody's story it wasn't me telling the story now this was somebody else it was giving the reins of what I had I had enjoyed from the first one where I had the reins where I said this is what I want John Wick to do and he did it this time this is definitely somebody else at the reins to me I was fine with that I was happy with that and I thought they did a a fairly good job, even if it was yeah, pretty conventional, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like all that is fair, and I, I really appreciate that. You know, I I understand where you're coming from, and I appreciate the imagination that was put into the film. Mm. It's not something that we're privy to a lot nowadays. It in is terms true. Of like action films, you know. So yes, on that, like I said, I, I completely agree. Don't get me wrong; I really like this world. 
Yeah, I yeah, love certainly. it. I love it a lot. <laughs> I just, I just think that there was just too much of it. Like, just look, look at the end sequence mm-hmm. when when uh, John goes to visit Winston in the middle of that that uh, like, well, like town square kind thing. of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then everyone turns around and looks at Wick. Yeah, yeah. That that to me was like, no, you can't do that. Not everyone's an assassin. Not everyone's mm-hmm. gonna be in the same place. That's just too much. To me, that's where they became agents. Yeah. Where they're, they're like, ugh. Like, look at, just quickly, look at look at the sequence where he's fighting the fat Chinese guy. Sure. And then the blonde chick. I feel like that's exactly what happened. The phone calls were there. And then Agent Smith was able to weasel yeah. his way out of the phone and then turn them into magic assassins all of a sudden. Yeah, no, I, you know? I totally I was like, get that. What are you doing? However, I will, I will kind of go against that. By saying the way that those sequences were edited was fantastic. Sure, yeah. The editing in this film was brilliant. I thought it was so cool the way that the, he didn't he took the audience literally for granted. He's like, you know what? You guys are smart. I'm gonna piece this together this way and let you deal with it. Sure, you're yeah. jumping. You're jumping in time. Wick is walking towards the uh, the uh, subway station. All right, and then we still see him fighting outside. I mean, how many films would have the balls to say oh, they'll get it? <laughs> this, yeah. hap- this happens before this happens on his way to the subway station yeah yeah absolutely. I, I was like wow that's great but the fact that they turned into agents i was like meh yeah i get that I, it does i think the first john wick even if it has mild fantasy it does set up a sort of realism to it that yeah. it that it definitely throws out the window out a the lot yeah yeah way. definitely i i mean again i didn't really I didn't buy the fantasy the first time round enough to consider it real. I, I the moment that it happened and the, the sheer the sheer over the top nature of the action and the fact that the story was set up by contrivance in the first one, I just I let the story play itself out. I never really bought it in that se- on on that degree. I never saw the right. realistic side of it. I I I get that it, what it was going for, but that fantasy once it's there, I can't unthink that the rules are too open to assume this is real, you know? Right. So this was very much more Harry Potter to me than the first Matrix, you know? It was very much, there's this magical okay. world that is just around the corner, and you're going, yeah, but there isn't. I, I want to believe that, I do. I genuinely find that fascinating, but it's not true, <laughs> you know? Right. And cool. And so when the sequel takes that and just runs wild with it, where obviously it's exaggerated how many of these people are assassins, and and that's kind of just insane. And it is, it is, it 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 throws the realism that could have potentially been there right out, and that is jarring for those that could see it in the first one. And I totally I sympathize with that because they are effectively cutting half their audience that appreciated John Wick out to tell a different story. Almost entirely. As far as tone goes, as far as characterization goes, it's a risk that doesn't really benefit anybody but the, the people who are making it. And it's kind of yeah. selfish in that sense. Because they want to do it. They just want to say, what happens to this is going to be cool. And a lot, it's not going to land for a lot of people. And at the same time, I don't really... I, I don't care. It worked for me. And also, I like when people take the risks to be selfish. And uh, because I didn't buy the fantasy the first time, when it just went up and up and up in this one, I was going, yeah, all right, cool. I, I, that's That just adds more interesting action to me. When I see him fighting the fat Chinese guy, and then this other, this, this, the blah woman comes around, and they're fighting at the kind of same time, I'm like, oh, this is, the chaos is ramping up. And that ties a lot into the, the three-act structure. What I want to say about this film in particular, as a big second act 
specifically, and I guess I could go into that if, if we want to just shoot there. Yeah, I want you to explain that, because then after that, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with all of our positives. So, uh, yeah, so the Fenrir Act structure, this is something that um, film students would know pretty well, because it, it, it's it's actually something that I should have went through at some point in in uh, when, I, when I studied screenwriting, but for some reason it never happened. <laughs> uh, we did approach little bits and pieces of it, but it just didn't happen. That's very strange, because the three-part structure that I'm going to be talking about, the one that we kind of know for films, is very much focused on screenwriting. So I don't know yeah. why I never touched on it, really, and why, you know, but it makes sense that film students know how to pick it up. So essentially, it's all just guideline stuff. You don't have to take it too seriously. Uh, nobody is saying this is how all films work, uh, or if they are, they shouldn't be. Essentially, it just helps typify all stories, and we use it to try to guide ourselves with regards to character arcs and overall arcs for stories. I'm going to use a general example, and it's good old Star Wars, which I, I'm almost certain is probably the, the, the go-to example that you film students would hear as well. So uh, it's yeah. not going to rock anybody's boat here, but it's I, I can't think of one that's more effective, because it's not only one that the audience will mostly know, but uh, it's, it's also pretty simple. It's a very simple film. So if we look at A New Hope, uh, yeah, I called it that. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> I got this from I got this from a, a website called Caffeine Symposium, just to save myself time. So we've got Act One. Luke follows Ben to rescue the princess and fight the rebellion. Okay, and I'll expand on these. Uh, act Two: Luke finds the princess, loses Ben, and escapes the Death Star. And Act Three: Luke blows up the Death Star and saves the rebellion. Uh, yeah. So I mean, in those three acts, defined by the major action that happens within each. We have a bunch of little checks and moments that sort of define where each act starts and finishes and how they play into each other. So if we look at Act 1, we've got the beginning, and that sets up the world. So we have Princess Leia, who sends a message for Ben Kenobi. After that, we have the inciting incident, which is Luke meeting R2, C-3PO, and Ben Kenobi gets the message to let them know that you know, they have to save the Rebellion. Uh, second thoughts is something that can and can't happen, but generally sums up when there's a little doubt at this point in the story, and that would be Luke saying, oh, he can't go, he has to go to the, he has to work on the farm, he's due to that. And we get a climax at the first act, in that when he returns to the farm, his guardians are dead. And mm -hmm. essentially he has, has the instigation there to want to join the Rebellion. Uh, and that pushes him towards the next part of the story. So we get a clean... After that, we say that's Act 1. All of our motivations are in check. We move on to Act 2. So here, Act 2 is mostly obstacles. These are things that get in the way between the stuff we've established in the first act and stuff that we want to see paid off in the final act, the third act. So here we've got the bar fight. We've got uh, meeting Han Solo, escaping Tatooine. And between those, we have, at the end, the midpoint twist. So this is where, in the, in the second act, we hit a, a sort of peak where things don't always go their way, essentially. This is when they end up on the Death Star, right, with Darth Vader. You know, this is them getting dragged in. They don't know that Leia's there, you know. They don't know this is where they, they want to be at this point, but this is the twist. They have been lured into the thing that just destroyed Alderaan. This is, uh, this is a problem, <laughs> you know. So then we, the gang saves her and tries to escape. That's, those are obstacles. And we move on to Disaster. Obi-Wan dies. This is Ben Kenobi, is now Obi-Wan, and he is dead. And we hit Crisis. Luke is forced to abandon him and leave him behind and just escape. 
And the climax is they get off the Death Star. Uh, Han, Luke, and Leia all escape, ready for the for the final act. And this is when the gang joins the rebellion, and it's it's pretty straightforward. They just there's little bits and pieces of of drama added in, but the goal is pretty straightforward. They 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 blow up the Death Star and save the day and get their medals. Uh, that's it. That's that's three acts. It's a succinct little story. Broken up into very, very easy to identify moments that keep the drama relatively on at a point where everybody's motivations are challenged but clear all at the same time, and it's kind of one of the virtues of the first Star Wars film. Uh, so, so we're gonna we're, we're gonna move to John Wick. That was a lot of Star Wars, but to break that down a little, Act One is setup, Act Two is confrontation, Act Three is resolution, and in the first John Wick, we've got Act One puppy kill car stolen. And he has to hunt Yusuf down. Act 2, assassination attempts, obstacles. He gets knocked out and interrogated. And he breaks free by the end of Act 2. And Act 3, he kills Yusuf and Vigo. And he gets a new puppy, revenge made. Happy ending for him. <laughs> it's pretty, it's, again, it's very simple, very straightforward. The problem is, if you have a series of films that tie into each other, there will be an overall structure between them. And when the dollar stops at chapter 2, there's likely going to be an issue. You see, Acts 1 and 2, they're known as the ascending action. So, uh, and uh, here the stakes keep getting raised, the game keeps changing, and it all builds and builds to a point where we know that we are going to get our payoff. Everything then begins to depreciate into a descending action with the third act. There's a calm, there's a peace, and we see narrative structures just kind of tie themselves up. So when the film stops at Act 2, there's this lack of catharsis, usually regarding the character arcs. And here's where it can go wrong. Here we are reevaluating John Wick, the first film, as the first act of the story of John Wick. Because right. we now have a second act that has essentially made what is the minor three acts that makes up the first film just a, just a small side story in a bigger, wider story. And not only does it take away from the, the initial sort of perfect neatness of the first three, but the artificial extension can often lead to dissatisfaction in itself. Uh, especially when the first film is as concise as the first John Wick. I mean, we, we had all the resolution we needed. We didn't... We could have said, and uh, then he retires, and not be that. Or we could have said, or now he's back in the game. He's pretty much, you know, he's guessing he's back. He's back. We made up the ending at that point. But the point was that the important part, him getting his revenge, was resolved. And after that, we could invent the story. Here, we're, we're, get, we're getting that taken from us. So now John Wick 1 is our beginning, where we learn of his wife's death and the end of John Wick's retirement. We get to our inciting incident when Yusuf drags the morning Wick back out of retirement as a vengeful specter. And in this case, our second thoughts could be his refusal to just stop when he's requested by Vigo. Uh, to just let bygones be bygones and let his asshole son just get away with it. Or we could even see it as the kidnapping. John Wick gets ultimately interrogated. You know, here we have a, we have a, we have a point where he could exit the story. And whether he's going to take it or, or leave it, that's all a part of Act 1. And either way, he doubles down on murdering everybody and we get our climax to Act 1. He is in the game or has come out of retirement to sort of show that he could be back in the game but now we're where that was an ending this is now the, the, the uh, a refigured beginning and the story continues so chapter two is also our second arc and it's full of obstacles santino wants him to fulfill his marker his blood oath, he blows up his house, and though John's drawing a line in the sand, he's forced to keep his word, essentially because he has nothing else. 
And he goes from location to location, killing this uh, this target for Santino until, as expected, Santino turns on him. And here, that's the obstacles leading up to the midpoint twist being the open contract that turns the entire world against him. Uh, the, uh, it flips the rules that we've learned about the world that John Wick is in and his allegiances to the people he knew are now being questioned. Wick tracks down Santino and we get more shootouts. Uh, all of that, obstacle after obstacle. That's all just part of Act 2. Just constantly on the path to finding our, to building our resolution. And it's, the stakes get higher. The, the The contract keeps going up. And there's more people coming at him. And he has to battle against that. And then disaster, he does get to Santino but on continental ground where he intends to stay safely forever. And here we're getting a, a, a crisis, as, as we did with Star Wars. Wick needs to kill him, but Wick has a, has a relationship with Winston, and he has rules that he's abided by, and it's, his reputation essentially rides on the fact that he did everything in the Hitman world by the book, uh, and he's been forced into this place where now... What's built up in his character, the, the taking of his, of his past and his... In this conjoined story where his wife, his memories, his puppy all tie into his impatience towards Santino are now being tested. And the resolution, he acts rashly. And he does. He kills Santino on continental ground. And we get our second act climax. John has been excommunicado. So here the arc wasn't so much about John's relationship with Winston, but the lack of options, and we're set up for a thrilling climax that we don't get. You know, this is the same problem that Lord of the Rings The Two Towers had, where it's all just action, and people running around, and people getting closer and closer to where they're supposed to be, but nobody gets there. The story barely ends, and we're told, hold on, there will be another. Same with Matrix Reloaded. Uh, again, and it's one that you're right to call comparisons to because not only, uh, I mean, not only does its story just add layer and layer of world building that totally detracts from the original vision of the first one, but it also doesn't give us any clarity with its own world. It, 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 it builds up a bunch of questions that it, it seems confident enough not to answer until the third one. And that doesn't pay off in The Matrix, but I mean, in, in other films it does. So we're left with John as an impatient prick. As you, as you, as you put there. <laughs> and he's a man who turns from supportable because his dog was killed to vengeful. And that vengeance is drawn into this next story. We set off where we left off with no real break. And that becomes just a, a figure of impatience because now he's made bad choices. And that escalation is carrying with him. He didn't, he didn't actually have to kill Yusuf. You know, he wanted to. He felt he was entitled to, but that entitlement has now stretched into a sense that he can make up his own rules. And that character arc that we're starting to see here, that we didn't have in the first one, is going its own direction. And so we're getting this 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 feeling that John just doesn't like doing things that he doesn't want to do. He doesn't play by the rules, really, because we've never really seen him play by the rules, except that he doesn't kill on continental ground, and then he's forced into a point where he does break that rule. And we've set up an arc that he is now this generally unsupportable character, uh, and we've lost much of the sympathy we've had for him, and we don't have any solution to it by the end of the film. We are now just sitting there thinking, well, John Wick's an asshole, and now, now we have to begrudgingly watch the third one, 
to see if he he's not an asshole. To an extent, there's parallels there with Star Wars again with uh, Empire Strikes Back. I mean, if we look at Luke and his story for that, the impatience of him to not follow through with his Jedi training ultimately doesn't benefit anybody. He rushes to Cloud City. He doesn't save his friends. They escape just as he arrives. And as he's skulking around, he's fallen into the trap and he just has to be rescued. He actually puts his friends in danger and he has to take that and learn from that for the next story, which we don't get the payoff to till Return of the Jedi. We get a payoff inevitably, but by the end of the Empire Strikes Back, we uh, all the balls are in the air and look is left off and we're thinking, this kid has fucked up. It could be said that this could happen with John Wick, but it's probably not handled as well as Star Wars. I'm not, I don't want to make that direct comparison, but it's there, essentially is what I mean. Beyond that, the second film now robs the first of its succinctness. I mean, we've we've said this about uh, Rogue One, we've said this about uh, Civil War, I guess. You know, these, these stories force additional layers that didn't have to happen, and while we can just go back to the ones we enjoyed and go, yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, and sometimes we'll embrace these new stories and that's a point, we have to make a point of embracing them because they're telling us something that doesn't fit with what we were originally told. It doesn't suit the narrative originally given. So there's work on our behalf and it makes perfect sense why people are, can be disappointed by that, especially when the film is so straightforward and clear like John Wick is. You know, this is a film that is about a guy who gets revenge for his dead wife and dog and car, and that's that. And that's great. That's all people wanted from that story. But at the same time, if we follow that to just wanting that again, because people wanted more, obviously, we were either looking at a point where this plays into the fantasy, or we have a James Bond scenario, where every new adventure is a, is a totally clean slate, and uh, little to no impact from the previous one matters. And we just have, it's, it's your film of the week. And yeah, it's fine, it works for what it is. But there's a little more ambition behind this to actually tell a character arc. And that's going to be initially offsetting. But at the same time, it's pretty good though. And for me, I can see that while it does take a conventional route and that we can actually map out the three-act structure, it doesn't always benefit a film to be able to say very clearly where it's going. For John Wick, it's an action film uh, to an extent that I was really here for the action, but the story has kept me invested. Uh, I don't mind it being a little conventional. I don't mind it ticking enough boxes to say, this is our second act. This is what we're leading to. You know, descending action, that third act is singular in itself as well. It it, it, it winds up a story, and it, it could see a return to form, although we never really see that very often, that it usually has to balance a bunch of stuff with regards to how theatrical films are released. We're going to see a bunch of side stories, a bunch of new characters, they're going to have their own arcs. That always happens. That's why third stories are mixed bags often, because while we should have a very, very, very straightforward resolve because we've all the pieces in play we have to add more and more to that so that's why we get the ewoks and that's where we get you know all the crap that happens in godfather part three like side stories with the daughter and stuff that you know do inform the world but don't necessarily matter to the story that we were sold on in the first two films but to me you know as far as second acts go i thought this did what it was supposed to we had obstacles, we had action, and it had enough of a narrative to keep me caring about it. And the fact that it is different is going to put people off. It didn't bother me in that sense. That sounds great. I, I understand. Yeah, you made a compelling argument with regards to Luke Skywalker, you know, finishing at the end. And we're like, 
you moron, you should have completed the training. We have that same initial thought with John Wick. Like, why the fuck did you shoot Santino in the head in the middle of the continent? Yeah, exactly. Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I may have been approaching this a little bit wrong, but I think that it's just because it felt so innocent in the first film. Yeah. That I feel like I was robbed of... of, And it's... it's, I know know it's me. Well, that's... It's 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 not just you. It is it is how these stories challenge people. This is you're going to be the majority. I feel I like I've already I've read a number of reviews. Those critics that just want to see film stuff done well, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're overpraising it. And the majority of of other reviews I've read are pretty disappointed. And those are the ones I give more credit to because at least they were paying attention. You know. But see, that's the thing for me. They had carte blanche for me. Yeah. For for number two. And they did something I've seen before. And I was like, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that makes sense. I mean, the, the fact that it's so conventional, like it is Act 2. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally get that. This is this is just John Wick, but more. Uh, and and people more hate of... that. But yeah, it's that's, uh... that's good and bad. That's more of the action that you like. More of that good cinematography. More John Wick, but also more narrative and politics uh and and world building and like that's the stuff that you didn't really consider whether you really cared about you could take it or leave it in the first one it adds a little flavor but you didn't see it as the the point of the film now the film's trying to justify itself as a world you that's it you're pulling away you know and that but i was already sold and then they're telling me but we we have all these things too and i was like yeah but i mean listen if you're a pushy salesman at the door i'll fucking close the door on you yeah exactly i mean mean, that's i think that's perfectly perfectly fair i think uh, and that people are reacting that way i feel that this is definitely something that benefits rewatch kind of films oh it will it's gonna be great people now that i make their peace with that kind of change over time It takes them a little bit to adjust, but... Yeah, it's going to be a very competent sequel. Yeah. In as much as that, I, I, I'll i probably be able to rate it amongst the very, very good sequels that have come out. You know what I mean? Great, yeah. The only thing is, is that uh, this could have potentially been a Terminator 2, as opposed to, um, I don't know, what could be... Like, what well, you said, Two Towers. I actually prefer the Two Towers. Right. Well, I don't. I prefer... <laughs> I prefer the, 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 the Empire Strikes Back. I do you know, with that, in that regard, definitely. For different reasons. But I feel like this is the Temple of Doom. Yeah, I, I think that's... Temple of Doom is a great analogy. And it's odd because Temple of Doom is actually, like in the timeline, set before Raiders of the Yeah, Rome, so. that's right, exactly. And I feel like this should have been possibly the first movie... Where mm. they would have set up the entire fucking world, whereas if the and then they would have put out like John Wick the first film after that. Yeah, sure. It would it would have deflated the entire process. But you know, I I think sometimes an exercise in restraint is a little bit better than just going balls out. Yeah, yeah. I I absolutely agree, and I do think I do think the film was pretty restrained in a lot of senses. You're I, absolutely we're not, right. We're, this You're is right. not Matrix Reloaded. Uh, I no, mean, they didn't go over the top. Yeah, well, they they did, but it was kind of like a you you could understand where they got that idea from, you know, why they took that leap. But yeah. there was not some stuff that was going like, why are we here? What's the point right. of this? Except the the fishburn scene. But anyway, let's take our break. Hello, cinephiles. This here is Matt Neglia, part of NextBestPicture.com, and I have one question to ask you. Do you feel like Leonardo DiCaprio really deserved it for The Revenant last year? Do you think somebody else should have won Best Actor? Well, on our podcast called The Next Best Picture Podcast, 
Myself, Will, Michael, and Kristen discuss that and more as we are always looking for the best in film today and what will ultimately win the Best Picture Oscar. Join us as we review films, talk about the latest news in the awards race, as well as the film industry itself. Thank you very much for your consideration. Hey, see what I did there? Welcome back. Now, we're going to be talking about positives for the rest of the show. Uh, because I will, uh, I implore you, all of you, go see this movie. I mean, uh, this is a lesson in, in how action films should be made as well. Uh, gripes aside from what I had to say, that was personal satisfaction, right? This is not mainstream or, or, or like what, what people are going to get from it. They're not going to be disappointed in John Wick, in my opinion. No, yeah, it's you're, just you're what right. I wanted from the film. You know? Absolutely. So this is man criticism, little contrivances that I were like, eh, I was like, eh, whatever. I, I doesn't fit for me. However, in the long run, when you sit down to watch this film, you're going to enjoy it. I can guarantee you're going to enjoy it. There's going to be a lot of what you like from the first film there, and enough to build on to warrant a third film where you're going to be like, okay. How the fuck is John going to get out of this now? Yeah. And I think that's going to be really interesting. Definitely. So from here on out, we're going to be talking positives. And the positives that I want to talk about are with um, a couple of the references that are in the film that I thought were really clever, especially from uh, the director's standpoint, from Stileski, and where he's coming from as a guy in uh, performing stunts from the stuntman world. Yeah, yeah. And I think that at the outset of the film, Okay, what Stileski's doing is essentially telling the audience that he set out to make more of a hybrid stunt slapstick comedy Western action film. Okay, so the Western you'll have, you know, uh, the the man with no name. But obviously, John, like I said before, has many names, but Mm. the dog doesn't in this one. But at the same time, he's essentially that loner who walks into town, takes care of business and walks the fuck out. Right. That's essentially what he did in in, in the the first first film. Yeah, a little bit of what he does in this film as well the action film obviously i mean how many headshots are there in this film they, i think they doubled the body count absolutely from the first film. you know there was what 90 90 some odd kills in the first film yeah They're, like just that's the that's the 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 ruins underneath rome i think that's about 90 yeah about that yeah definitely definitely they ramboed it <laughs> exactly yeah they ramboed it i love that we have a new verb now <laughs> we're gonna be using that they ramboed it yeah the references that i thought were cool the film opens with a nice little tribute to Buster Keaton. Now, that's the one that everyone's going to talk about. Sure. I don't know what film it's in. I would have liked to because that would, that would have been able to flex my muscles. But it's on screen for, for such a short period of time that I was like, hey, that's Keaton. Ah, shit. I don't know what the movie is. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I, didn't, I didn't want to just walk back in to rewatch it. Yeah, film. just watch five seconds of clip. <laughs> But that's it. I mean, the references start actually with the first poster that was uh, released for John Wick. And I don't know if you guys recall the first poster. It's actually John Wick surrounded by a bunch of guns. Mm. Right. Now, that to me is Stileski telling us with the bunch of guns and the Buster Keaton reference what he's trying to do with John Wick 2. The poster itself, and I, I talked about this on Twitter and it's probably out there now, is actually a reference to Harold Lloyd's. Uh, short film Two Gun Gussie that came out in 1918. Yeah. If you look up the image Two Gun Gussie with Harold Lloyd, you're going to see it's an exact replica with John Wick. So now we've got the two pioneers of slapstick comedy, but also two excellent stuntmen. 
mm-hmm. which is also what Stileski was, you know. So we're starting to draw on where this guy wants to have his references, where his allegiances lie in terms of how action is made, how action scenes are, are choreographed, and how everything is going to be crafted together. The one thing that I thought was cool was the end of the film, the Hall of Mirrors showdown. Yeah. Now, a lot of people online are saying, oh, it's got that Lady of Shanghai vibe to it. And I was like, that's inconsistent with what Stileski has set up with Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton. And by remaining consistent with it, that to me, when I was sitting next to my girlfriend, I turned to her and I said, this is a reference to Charlie Chaplin's The Circus from 1928, where he actually walks into a hall of mirrors and people are chasing him. And I really think that it's cool that he would draw upon these really extraordinary pioneers of silent film, but also in terms of stunts. For the days that these were coming out. We've got a 10 year period. Now Harold Lloyd in 1918. All the way to Chapman in 1928. So Buster Keaton must be somewhere in between there. Yeah. So we've got right. maybe our three acts. That are going to be playing out in sure. that way. Now I think that is kind of cool. If he's going to reference that. We have to look at both. I'm not very well versed in the Harold Lloyd. Uh, I know a little bit about Keaton. I'm, uh, I know quite a bit about Chaplin. Hmm. But if we look at the ones that I do know a little bit about. Both Keaton and Chaplin. If you look at how they were on screen. They were both loners in their respective films. They were getting into trouble, usually not by any fault of their own. And they were acclaimed stuntmen, as I said, uh, especially, well, I mean, all three of them. I'd say Keaton, Lloyd, and Chaplin were accomplished stuntmen. Definitely. Um, all these three guys came up during the silent era, which explains why Wick doesn't say much. And if we look at kind of what the, the themes are going for, what John Wick goes through, especially the first movie and even in the second film, if we look at Chaplin, his films dealt with more of, Uh, The notions of right and wrong, um, you know, literally black and white in this case. Uh, The tramp mostly, I mean, seeking justice above else. You know, he was Mm. going to trying to correct people that had been slighted. And Chaplin's films also tended to be quite political. Keaton, on the other side, was more nuanced in his approach to filmmaking. A little more about finding where you fit in to the world as an individual. So... I think that in that sense, Stileski and the, the, the screenwriter, whose name I didn't bother to look up during the break, <laughs> I apologize for that. I think that if we look at John Wick through the lens of the silent era, his character makes perfect sense. He's a combination of these of two preeminent figures. Like I said, I don't know much about uh, Harold Lloyd. But I mean, in terms of Keaton and Chaplin, I, I think what Stileski is trying to do is establish Wick where he wants to be in the assassin world, you know? Showing him as an individual, but also navigating the lines of right and wrong in that environment. Yeah. All right. So we'll have Chaplin on one side, Keaton on the other, and we'll have John Wick kind of embodying the notions that these two pioneers of stuntman work, or even in terms of filmmaking craft, um, he's the embodiment of these two. He's actually the, the a silent hero in a modern action stunt slapstick comedy and i mean you have so many things you can point to throughout the film uh look at just the tumbling down the stairs which is hilarious you know exactly most of the time you'll have these people that are just you know going to get up and start running again they're they're physically destroyed at the end of the sequence right (laughs) and even they set up the film even with the first shot with the when he gets his 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 car his mustang and it just just shoots right out of a uh, like off a, a ramp yeah you know? yeah like oh my god you know they're gonna literally have flying cars in this one as well so i think that stileski is really really nodding you know the tip of the hat to where his influences lie you know in terms of where the directors he liked or as a stuntman where 
um, you know that, that that a lot of a lot of these guys don't get the credit for being stuntmen. They get them they get it for being uh, film magicians. You know, Chaplin and Keaton and all that. You know, so I think that a lot of that comes from. Yeah, I, I definitely think that. I mean, a lot of people are making up that uh, John Wick is something of a neo noir and that his character evokes like hum- Humphrey Bogart esque characters. No, you know, I don't I don't agree with that at all either. Yeah, that's. I think that what you're saying makes a lot more sense with regards to the influence to the action. It's it seems far more likely that they they're they're trying to evoke these the yeah these these practical actors. Yeah, and I think that you know even by the end of the film, you know John Wick is essentially an extension of the Tramp. He literally has no home. He, yeah. he doesn't have anywhere to go. His mission is kind of done. He has to be on the run. He's off. To another mission. I mean, a lot of Chaplin's films end that way, with Chaplin just walking off. Walking the, the sunset. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think that you know, in 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 true postmodern fashion, I'll call it that. John Wick is an amalgamation of so many different types of genres. You know, like we yeah. talked about the western, uh, you know, the action film, slapstick comedy. But at this point, with the world building that these guys have done, I mean, we we have to bring in oral tradition. We have to bring the fairy tale motifs into it. I mean, just look at the opening of the film when you have Peter Stormare's character just talking about the boogeyman, the Baba Yaga. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. this is entrenched in, in lore. You know, they're trying to expand the mythology and things like that. But Wick is part of that mythology. It's like he's telling a story to a kid. Right. You know, you're so close to having him say, I saw him fly away with wings that came out of his back. Yeah, absolutely. From his vantage point, shot a million people. and he killed three guys with a pencil. There you go, you know, you that, know that's literally part of legend, myths, but we actually see But we do it, see it, know? yeah, exactly. But we see him kill two, not It's always a bit of exaggeration. I, I thought that was a great touch. See, but that's the thing. That's that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Because that's what, that's what, like, oral tradition, that's what fairy tales do. They have an exaggerated sense of reality. Yeah, You know, we get Wick as the human being, but they see Wick as the legend. You know, he killed three guys with one pencil. I mean, yeah, I figured like what the actual role of the boogeyman is, you know, he's he's to warn children. He's this faceless, amalgamous shape of a monster that we we as parents would use to warn children of just whatever, you know. It's uh, There is something that will get you if you do not do what I say, and that thing is the boogeyman. And... It's great that this is Figo telling Yusuf in the first film, you know, that we get yep. the this 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 sort of this folk tradition of passing these warnings to children and say, Do you Excellent. know who so this is? So Very I that cool. I think that ties in pretty neatly there. Yeah, and I mean it's a mix of so many things, you know. This um, uh Santino calls him Spectro, you know, the specter, the the ghost yeah, exactly. comes in, you know? And so the, the, you you have all these myths of him just being like he's a specter is something that floats around, right? It's not really real, but you're haunted by it. Mm. So he's this haunting presence. It's like, you know, so these these gangsters, you know, these entitled fucks, essentially, that you have, <laughs> Yosef and Santino, these were bedtime stories, right? Yeah. You'll have Vigo and you'll have uh, Santino's father, whose name we don't know, you know, who've probably been told, hey, if you if you aren't nice, John Wick will come to get you. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so it's really real. It becomes part of their reality. And I think that that fairy tale motif actually it's exploited in two different ways. We'll have it from the bad guy's point of view, where John Wick is this haunting presence that comes. But John Wick himself, as a character, and I said this about Drive, is living in this after the happily ever after phase. Right. Right. This is what postmodernism has done now. 
it gives us an explanation of what either comes before or it comes after. What happens in between doesn't make sense anymore. Like like uh, when we were watching like Snow White. Okay, we'll watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but now the other the other films are going to explain her origin, you know, or even uh, Maleficent. We're going to have the origin story of Maleficent. We're not going to have the story itself in Sleeping Beauty. We're going to go before. Yeah, right? yeah. But we have a few of these stories now that are going to be situated after. What happens after? And Drive is one of them where Refn actually takes the character. What happens if the princess doesn't meet the right prince? You know, is there something that happens after that happily ever after ending? And I think John Wick in this case did have his princess his story was closed he found a wife he he delivered the princess right yeah absolutely winston winston the king he's called a king in the film and he he grants wick okay you're out you know and this happens before the first john wick movie yeah that's right right. Mm -hmm. and so he he lets him go he has delivered his princess or in this case probably the princess delivered him yeah the evil and, and there's even there's like new uh allusions to that story as well we're, we're told of the imp- impossible task you know that could be yeah, that's a that, that could be the metaphorical dragon you know that's uh, you know he had to slay exactly. the dragon to get the princess he had to make this pact with the villain to do it you know that there you go there's so many it is its own story and we're, we're not told it directly we no. are sort of hinted at it and we piece it together yeah and i mean if you just decide to choose to pick things apart i mean like the dog in the first film is called Daisy. And I think that's great because it opens up so many different things. Because, you know, if you look at Daisy as a symbol, it's this nice, beautiful flower, like yellow in, in, in the middle, which represents hope. And then you'll have the petals on the side that represents purity, sure. innocence. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you have a dog and gifting him that dog is her trying to tell him this will preserve your innocence. To me, you've never been that guy. You've always been the guy that I know. And I think that's great in terms of the dog. And even Daisy, you know, harkens back to what we were talking about in terms of Great Gatsby, right? So you have yeah. that melancholy attachment to the dog where the dog actually represents a time he can't get back. The same way as Gatsby wants to get Daisy back, but he, he still essentially is the bootlegger. The same way as John Wick is still the assassin, right? He's forced back into his past as a result of the death of the dream that he could have held it dear. Right. And now in this world, we get an expansion. And that's why I thought that what you were talking about in terms of the second act and bringing in oral tradition, fairy tale motifs, and what I'm talking about right now, this is where I think the film really does succeed. Because the world building, as much as I thought there was too much of it, mm-hmm. the way that they handled specific parts of it was fantastic. I thought that, okay, these guys want to go delve into Greek myth because this is what they have been saying in interviews. You see the statues that are there. I think they're peppered throughout. However, I think that the mythology in this case really goes back to uh, oral tradition, fairy tale motifs, and much less so to how the Romans would have dealt with specific things or how the Greeks would have dealt with specific things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These aren't necessarily gods, but they're what the representation uh, of mythology could have been if we saw these people as heroes. As it is it is that blurred line. I mean, we get uh, Wick called the devil. And I mean, yes, yeah. there is a sort of religious text of oh, this yeah. anti-God figure, but very it's, it's never very clear what the devil actually is. And the actual representation of Satan that we've kind of grown to know through popular folk tellings is definitely uh, uh, something that is amalgamated a number of just general evil traits and has uh, formed this whole creature to himself, you know. That's it ties in with that same motif. Oh, definitely. And I mean, uh, so that's it. In terms of the world building, I thought that that was great. I mean, uh, Celeste and the screenwriter 
we were talking about this before the show. They went on Screen Junkies and they were talking about how, you know, in terms of Greek mythology, this uh, like the streets represented Hades and, and how like because the, the, the towering uh, buildings and stuff like that, you know, this was the underworld of where Wick conducts business, you know, all the shady deals and whatnot. And the, the coins are ap- like kind of a representation of the, the tokens that you'd have to present to Charon, the, the, the boat, the ferryman that was going to take you uh, uh, away from purgatory, you know, actually. Yeah, into absolutely. Hell. You know, so I think that it, it it's kind of clever in that way. I think it does kind of stick its head up its own ass at one point where you're like, OK, take it easy with your 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 symbolism. I can see it on screen literally now. Yeah. But let's uh-huh. look at the metaphorical implications with regards to that. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, even if you're looking at uh, that structure, if you're thinking of John Wick the first film as this trip through the underworld, you know, uh, yeah. and, and through with Hades. And then we move up then uh, this challenge upwards to the, the second film where we are now with the elites of the earth. You know, these are the people that are higher. Yeah. These are the people of earth and, and the sort of middle terrain. But then that kind of alludes then where the third one's going to go. We're probably moving to Olympus and we're going to climb to the gods, the high table itself. Well, we've yeah. already heard that these people rule the underworld. Wick's going to take it to them. Uh, and that, that's that's great. I mean, the illusion's pretty clear there. I mean, it's it, hopefully it turns out that way, but I think it's pretty set in stone, essentially, because they keep saying about the Greek mythology, it, it, it would be a shame if they didn't take it that way. But, I mean, is he going to take the war to Winston? That's the thing, you know? And in that way, I think that it would essentially be that whole motif we're talking about where the prince actually becomes king at one point, right? Yeah. If we look at it, you know, everyone has tried to overthrow Zeus <laughs> at one point. They all failed. But at the same time, I think that in this case, it's going to be a power struggle that we've seen in in, in Shakespeare. We've seen it in, in like myth that we were talking about. We've seen it in fairy tales where eventually the king has to move aside and the, the, the heir apparent in this case would be John Wick. Yeah, he's establishing exactly. new rules within this kingdom, you know, and he's saying, I don't think that we should not murder on continental ground. If the person deserves it, that's the way I'm going to do it. Public execution. I'm bringing that back. That's know? great. So, yeah, it's absolutely, it's very historical in that sense as well. <laughs> there you go. So I think that in that case, I, I really appreciated the, the whole mythology that came with it. Yeah. Know, the legendary status, because it speaks to me uh, specifically as a guy who studied this material a little bit before. Mm. And I thought that there were a couple of characters that really, really uh, stuck out to me. I really liked Common in this film. Oh, yeah, definitely. I thought definitely. his character of Cassian was a a, a doppelganger of sorts uh, of the John Wick character. Where uh, absolutely. They embodied that yin-yang. You could see that shift in between those characters where... You know, John Wick isn't necessarily all good or all bad in the same way as that Cassian is not all good or all bad. You know, the only reason he's going after Wick is not necessarily because of the price. It's because, Christ, he killed his ward, which was Gianna. Yeah. And you're like, well, I kind of understand. Wick was, you know, he's supposed to be defending. Well, Wick was that guy. I mean, this is this is the perpetual cycle of this world, you know. Right. They go on their revenge spree which kicks off another person who goes on their revenge. You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. No, it is. But, I mean, there's comfort in the fact that, you know, uh, uh, Cassian's going to be back. Yeah, absolutely. That Cassian's going to be back. I I didn't care for Ruby Rose's character, Ares. I did give a shit. Uh, She was just standing around brooding, and I was like, oh, shut the fuck, you know. Not even shut the fuck up. She can't speak, but anyway. I'll tell you what I liked about uh, Ruby Rose's character. 
is that John Wick, the original, sets in this 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 cool like stylized motif of the of the of the subtitle. You know, this very like pronounced effective subtitle where if people speak in other languages, we get this big on screen like Baba Yaga, and then it swishes out and it becomes Boogeyman and big bold letters in the middle of the screen. This is very much its own identity. So I like what the filmmakers have done here. They've actually adapted that element into a character. They've given okay. us a character who literally can't communicate other than the stylized text. I think that's a great use of the tools they've set up for themselves. And I think it was fun to see somebody take advantage of that in a way that you couldn't get around, you know? We couldn't hear what they were saying otherwise. We didn't have, like, the halfway mark that Figo had where he could speak English. You know, we uh, we had to just go off subtitles alone. And that, to me, that was just good. That was a fun choice. Just a fun choice. It's not essentially a I'm not arguing about brilliant, great choice. Aspect. Yeah, I, 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 but I know what you mean. Uh, as far as a character, there's not anything there bar that. But I still Fights think... over in 30 seconds. He beats the shit out of her. And then she's this looming threat the entire time. And you're like, oh, this is going to be an interesting... Th- nope. Uh, yeah, That's no, I, 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 I agree. But I still, there was something cool about it that I liked. So I, she's cool. She's cool. But she's she, to me, she was exactly like um, uh, Captain Phasma in The Force Awakens. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a fu- that's a that's a fair uh, comparison. Absolutely. <laughs> Before we get to what I want to talk about in terms of retirement, because that would be essentially us retiring the show. All right, cool. <laughs> for the for this week, I want to talk about my favorite scene in the film. Cool. Yeah. And to me, my favorite scene in the film, and I think is which is the most important scene in the film is Gianna in the tub. Mm-hmm. First of all, I, I should have taken that actress's name down. I'm, I'm very un- disorganized tonight. I hope we, anyway, thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, I think that that actress has so much fucking class. Mm. She, as soon as I saw her on screen, I was like, Jesus, what the hell is this? You know, she, I was like seeing an angel. And when, and they didn't, when she just proceeds to get undressed in front of John Wick, you know, you never see a woman that age do that. Have the, 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 confidence the confidence yeah there's no shame at all and i thought it was great that was so that scene was sexy beyond belief to me yeah i was in the movie theater going like jesus christ this is awesome mm-hmm. she is fantastic but she is the embodiment of what a goddess in that world would be like yeah definitely you know I, mean? I mean yeah well if that's the thing she's a part of the olympus in this world you know she's you actually go. at the table so i mean that and makes sense she has to live up to that and she does man i Absolutely. mean i got i got a chill on my arm when i was watching the movie i was going wow what is this thing what is she's so precious and at the same time there's a viciousness about her. So there's, there's something very strong about the, very, the, exactly. the the clear motivation of her to, to just absolutely take herself out and live by her own rules. Uh, it reminded me a lot of Cleopatra. And I think there, there's something important. Wow, what a great comparison. There's something Good very job, right? uh, important about the way that she kind of slits her wrist. It was all like with this sort of curved scimitar kind of dagger thing. Yeah. It's very, it, it felt snake-like to me. And that reminded me of the asps that do kill Cleopatra. You know, right. that she puts on her breast and kills herself and in, in, in her, you know, well, at least in Shakespeare. I don't know if that's true to the actual, uh, the, the real story of Cleopatra. There's something very clear about that to me. And uh, that sheer strength in that character to just absolutely live by their own rules. I, that was like a, you pointed this out to me. I didn't even realize that at the time. This is such an indication of the arc that John Wick would later have to take. I was just getting to that. Yeah, the sheer fact that he, this this points him in his direction. What 
yeah. live by your own rules. Mm-hmm. The strength of a character to say that, and the, and the contrast in seeing John Wick hear the lapdog for some guy, her brother, just doing the dirty work, while this this woman just absolutely takes herself out of the pictures and says, I know when I, I can see a checkmate, and I'll admit it, but at the same time, this isn't your victory. This is my success. Exactly. And that's great. I thought that was brilliant, because that's it. I mean, you're absolutely right, and I'm glad I told you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's exactly what provokes John to break the rule at the end of the film. I mean, to have that much courage in in the action that you're committing, uh, you know, taking your own life and saying, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, exactly. You know? But to the point where it actually freezes John Wick in his steps, he barely moves in that doesn't, scene. Yeah, doesn't say a word, just lets it happen. You know, it's exactly. almost essentially apologizes. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yeah, you see, he's taken aback by what, what he's actually witnessing because she, like you said, is on another level. Mm-hmm. And then this is what's more interesting to me is that it shows exactly why her father chose her instead of Santino as the place at the high table. Yeah. Like, oh, I was stepped over. Motherfucker, that's why. Because you didn't even have your sister's balls. <laughs> <That's what laughs> exactly. You, you know, I, I really thought that, you know, she was a shining beacon. In I, I totally agree. And I, it is it was a standout scene to me. And I would I would venture to say also my favorite scene. Uh but I yeah. think you you summarized it and and drew on it better than I could I, I could imagine at the time. I was just like, that is just a cool character. That this this hints at backstory and world building without ever going too far. You know, this is exactly what the cat. This is this is clever storytelling. She could have just been somebody, just a nobody. And this is John Wick, and he just shoots her, and that's it. And the fact they take the the time to build someone who is only here for five ten minutes is in, is incredible storytelling to me for for, for an action film <laughs> when we spend the next oh, half yeah. an hour shooting people on the head. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just unreasonable that there's 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 this. It's not a balance, but at least there are these two sides that are both excellent. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I don't know. I, I still have that scene in, like in my head. Just when when she's just lying in the tub, just with the blood and all that, and she's still talking to Wick. You know, she's just saying exactly what she needs to say, and then whoop, she goes, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Fuck!" And it means more. I mean, we watch people desensitized by the fact that we watch people getting shot left, right, and center, and this one, she just bleeds herself out. It's it's horrible. It's actual death. No, that was yeah, that was that was the most the most effective death Absolutely. in the film. Uh before we get to uh, my last little thing is I uh, like um I want to give a shout out to Brendan Cassidy over at In Session because he was talking about the theme of retirement over in the In Session film podcast this week. And um it's definitely there because they mentioned it. John Wick is just trying to go into retirement. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of build on, on what his argument was. Uh, because, you know, essentially that's what we're leading into is Wick trying to go towards his retirement. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to play on the fact that retirement has a couple of definitions. Right. Cool. And the definitions of retirement, if we look at it, the military used to use the word to mean kill. Right. And so we're talking about euphemism in terms of retirement. Now, John Wick wanting to retire. Is this him wanting to retire a bunch of people using it as a verb? Sure. You know? So is he going to go out and just in a blaze of glory? And I mean, at the end of John Wick 2, when we get that sentence, I'll kill them all. You're like, okay, so early retirement for all these fucks that are going to get into his way. <laughs> yeah. 
right? And so, you know, people like in the military would use the target has been retired. Things like yeah, that. So yeah. I think that, that there's a play on words there as well. But Wick is, you know, he's walking around, you know, and he says he's back. Who was it? I think it was Willem Dafoe's character. He says, I thought you were retired. Mm. You know, I was just checking in on an old friend or something like that. You know, there, you have that word retired that shows up a couple of times. But based on the fact that if the military uses it mean to kill, these people could actually be saying, I thought you were dead. I thought you were retired. I thought like people had actually taken your life from you, which ties into what we were talking about earlier in terms of the ghost imagery. Yeah. You know, the fact that he's just this walking ghost, he's this walking legend that had been retired, that, you know, there was a, a hit put on him at one point and he, he was essentially dead. He had walked away from the world, but not necessarily living. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, but I mean, like, uh, uh, that kind of ties into what we were saying about the, the his, his travel through, you know, the Greek pantheon as such. Yeah. Because if you think about where the first John F- Wick film starts, it starts with a funeral. And if we look at the death of his yeah, wife, that man. could absolutely be considered the death of John. And this this now symbolic working up of the class of, of Greek mythology, this, this specter right. who's traveled through the underworld and is trying to get up to Olympus to change the oh, rules... Wonderful. You know, yeah. we're seeing something here. We're seeing that retirement, these people asking him, I thought you were dead. They, you know, to them in this, in this world, John is dead. He, he, yeah, he is right. cr- crawling his way back to life to, to upset the system. But he, for all intents and purposes, if we look at the symbolism here, he, he, he died with his wife. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely great. Hey, uh, just, just to throw it out there just for fun. Um, did you want to? I sent you a, a text this week talking oh. about John, and I think it'd be a perfect way to close out the show for this week. The fun thing about uh, we were talking about religious symbolism earlier. I had picked up because I, I rewatched John Wick. I've seen it what three times, four times now, John Wick, and I really enjoyed the first one. But John Wick is a man of of habit. He's a creature of habit. He has a specific set of rules, and he abides by those rules. Sure. And I think this is one of the first rules he breaks. It's the uh, the uh, the day uh, following uh, the, the 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 death of his dog. dog being killed. Yeah. John is seen waking up at six a.m. every morning. You know that's his routine. Six o'clock. It always ties in. However, the fun thing is, is that uh, well, not the fun thing. Sorry. <laughs> After the dog dies, <laughs> <laughs> the fun thing is, <laughs> John wakes up at six nineteen a.m. And so I figured, you know what? There could be a little bit of symbolism there. His name is John. How about I go check out John 619? And so I sent this text to Lee. Yeah. We will read it to you. Yeah, so uh, they had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified. And so I thought that was really cool. That's uh, awesome. You know, the fact that (laughs) Jesus is this guy that, that... you know, he performs miracles. He's a legend. These people had never seen him before. He literally comes back to life. <laughs> exactly. And he's walking on water and they are scared. They're scared of what's actually <laughs> pretty cool. And so I don't know if that was if that was wanted, if they wanted to do that. Almost certainly. I mean, luck. John 619, that can't be an accident. But it's so cool that it would actually fit in then. So, I mean, if ever you guys want to look up any time that's referenced in the John Wick number one, yeah. John Wick chapter two, look at the time and maybe look up John this, John that. You might have biblical passages there that are going to be leading you down a rabbit hole of, of fun things to uncover. Absolutely. Trivia galore. <laughs> exactly. All right. So any closing thoughts on the film, Sir? So we can wrap this up and I can go have supper. Yeah. Uh, 
again, I, I, I do, I, I never got to say it, but I absolutely recommend John Wick Chapter 2. And, oh, and yeah, John definitely. Wick Chapter 1, as we'll have to now kind of vaguely call it. Uh, both, I feel, I feel that people knowing that there's a new film out and knowing that it will all lead somewhere, it's going to re help them reinterpret the, the series as a whole. And we're, we're going to st- start seeing a pull away from the first John Wick just for the sheer fact that it doesn't connect like the others to uh, an overarching story, you know, and it's very much like the original Star Wars. People just kind of, they, they they make their peace with the fact it did what it wanted to do, and but doesn't mean as much as the remainder of the story. I feel that we're going right. to see a little bit of that in time. But at the same time, that, that doesn't take away from the fact John Wick is a great film, and I feel John Wick Chapter 2 is a solid sequel in so many ways, and, and, and if you can see it in your own time with a drink in hand, I mean, like, that's that's what action films are made for, sitting in your house and just chilling out and watching some guy brutally murder hundreds of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was it was cool. I mean, uh, like I can't recommend it enough as well. I mean, go see it. It's worth it. It's worth every penny. There's a lot of love put into this Absolutely. film. And I think like the, the filmmakers really, really wanted to give you guys your money's worth. They really wanted to build and also capitalize on what they had created, and they actually let themselves loose. I can't fault them for that. I think it's sure. very, very daring on their part to want to establish and create a new world, like you said, more of a Harry Potter universe. <laughs> and although I do have a couple of, of gripes with the film because, I mean, I don't know if it's my expectations walking in, although they were quite low, I was I was hoping for something just a little bit more. But that's me. You know, it's just me. I mean, as, as a regular film viewer, I'm going to rewatch this knowing fully what to expect and I'm going to enjoy the shit out of it yeah, once it yeah, comes that's, out again. Yeah, that's a guarantee. Go see it. I think it's it's very much worth your time. A- and go with friends. Have a have a great time. Shall we wrap up, sir? Let's do it. Where can we find you, sir? You can find me at bigpicturereviews.co.uk Minor changes. We're addressing the fact that we are absolutely finalists for the UK Blog Awards 2017. So, I mean... Yeah, I- I'm definitely going to try to go to that award ceremony. Uh, just, nice. Just, it's in London, so it's a bit out of the way. And... It's on a work day, but I'm going to have to... Closer to you than to me. I, yeah, I love London. I'll, I'll take any opportunity to I'll go back. I'll send you a picture you can hold, hold it up. Yeah. This is the other <laughs> Yeah. Meet, meet my co-host. You're you're senile. This is my co-host. <laughs> cool. My name is Jason Michael. You can find me at film underscore faculty on Twitter. We really hope that you guys enjoyed us. Please, if you can, go give us a review on iTunes. If you can't do it there, go on Stitcher. Leave us a review there. If you can't there, we're always on SoundCloud. New people uh, to, to give shout outs to as well. I thought I had a great time with the, uh, it was Colin Llewellyn, uh, the guy from another film podcast. Oh, I think yes. They, 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 it was pretty fun. We got a lot of feedback from them. They listened to our, our Paul Thomas Anderson retrospective. And a lot of people are turning into that, man. Yeah. Plays have been racking up there and i think that's kind of us well people we are got, telling us we, got we got want a, more of these things yeah we got a shout out from um criterion close-up uh that's a show yeah, oh yeah and they, Mark and and i think Aaron, i think man, there was a great. renewed surge of interest from that so i mean that was pretty good yeah and it, it we we are planning a, a new retrospective uh, at the moment so i mean like it is something we're always keeping in mind it's just good to see that it's you know that people are interested in that kind of form of, of yeah. criticism so it, we absolutely always intend to be doing more of that stuff in the future so it's great to see that reflected in hits and views and likes and comments and stuff like that so 
you inform the show to an extent, do keep letting us know what you think of the show because that helps us help you enjoy it, you know? Exactly. We have to learn how to close out these shows. Absolutely. So, like, much more concise. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out to uh, Mike Denniston from War Machine vs. Warhorse. Also to Shane, uh, the co-host of War Machine vs. Horse, War, Warhorse. I had a great time talking to them. Yeah, that's right. About the uh, assassins and the assassin. I had a great time talking about that. I went to David on Pop Culture Case Study. I want to big shout out to him too. I had a great time talking to him. Yeah. Well, that was us for this week. Go see John Wick Chapter 2. We can't recommend it enough. And uh, we'll see you soon. What's the next one we're reviewing? We, uh, we're, do, we're doing Logan. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about Logan. And uh, fingers crossed, man. It's going to be great. Thank you very much. Thanks, now. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.